Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. So many of you uh, are uh, wanting uh, some sort of update from us on Kelly and how Kelly's doing. And um, I do want to just take a, a moment this morning to speak about where we are. Because there are two questions that we get asked more often than any other questions. How can we pray? And what do you need? So I want to speak to those just briefly this morning. How you can pray is you can pray that Kelly's tumor marker, which is, we got lab work back um, this week on Thursday. Wednesday, we found out she wasn't going to have to begin immunotherapy. Man, we were just riding high. And then Thursday, we got lab results that showed that her tumor marker, her cancer antigen, is up again, elevated again. Um, so I can tell you, this is an emotional roller coaster that we are on. And many of you have been on the experience and you know what that's like. We just feel like we're up, we're down, we're up, we're down. So you can pray that that cancer uh, antigen, that tumor marker, comes down. And you can also pray that our hearts remain steadfast in the middle of circumstances that are less than favorable, that our hearts will remain steadfast, that we will remain fully surrendered to God and indifferent, which is a hard prayer to pray when you're in the middle of this kind of crisis. It's, it's one thing to pray the prayer of indifference, but you can't pray the prayer of indifference till you pray the prayer for indifference. God, help me to be indifferent. That's where it begins, and that's where we are. So join us, if you will, praying. And then what do we need? And I'll be honest, we, um, we really don't know what we need. There are things we don't even know yet that we're going to need. But here's what I believe, and I just want to share this with you this morning. God says, I know what you need before you ask. Here's what that means. That means God doesn't only know what we need before we ask. God knows what we need before you ask and before you ask us. God already knows. So we're praying to God who knows what we need. You're praying to God who knows what we need. And so I would just say, listen, friends, no pressure on anybody to do anything except what the Lord would prompt you to do. That's it. Just listen and obey him. Because as we don't know what we need, the Lord may know something we need that we're not even aware of. And we have had these surprises come along the way that have been reminders to us that God is out in front of this thing, that God is with us and that God is for us in all of this. And so I just want to thank you for most importantly holding us in your love and your prayers, supporting us. That's the biggest thing we need. And the other thing I'll share just briefly that we need, our, our oncologist has shared that one of the things that she's trying to do and her job is to do is to balance effective treatment with quality of life, right? That's the challenge. How do we get effective treatment without it being so impactful negatively on your body that you can't enjoy life any longer? And we recognize that that's a balance that she is trying to strike right now, but we're also trying to strike a balance between our physical well-being and her physical well-being and her emotional well-being. And here's what I mean by that. Kelly needs hugs. I know we're in the middle of COVID, right? We're in the middle of a really difficult time. But there is an appropriate way, and many of you did this last weekend with her, and we just so appreciate your sensitivity. You just walked up to her and you said, if I put my mask on, can I just give you a hug? 
And I just say, if you are prepared to do that on a Sunday and you can mask up in the middle of um, her when she's immunocompromised and it's a way that you love her well, it's a way that you love me well, and it's a way you give her what she needs in the midst of a difficult situation. And so I just wanna thank you again for your love, your sensitivity, and your incredible support to us. We feel it. We're strengthened by it. Our hearts are steadfast. And it is because we feel so surrounded by so much love and support. And it just means the world to us. Now this morning as we return to Summer in the Psalms, you've been in your summer in the Psalms here at Grace Crossing. And I've been in my summer in the Psalms on my sabbatical. I've spent a lot of time or in my sabbatical and over the last number of months returning almost daily to the Psalms. Because here's what I've, I've learned and here's what I've come to experience. We value the Psalms most when we are in the seasons of pain, misunderstanding, and deep hurt. In those moments when we don't have answers, to life's questions, when we feel that our life has been shaken so deeply. It is the Psalms that we return to that give us a sense that God is here. In those moments when hope seems fleeting and lost, in those moments when God seems distant, the Lord meets us time and time and time again in the pages of the Psalms. It's, it's unlike any other book of the Bible that you can read. Because like any other book of the Bible, the Psalms give a voice to our sorrows when words fail us, when words escape us, when we don't know how to say it. The Psalms pray it. They give us the sense of how do we articulate what it is that we're feeling, and if you haven't noticed, the Psalms are filled with a myriad, a plethora of different emotions. There is gut-wrenching sadness and sorrow expressed. There is fear. There is anger that comes forth. Because sorrow has a way of producing all of those different emotions that sometimes we are just incapable of processing on our own. And here's what I believe. I believe life's sorrows come from one of three primary sources. And the psalmists grapple and wrestle with these sources of sorrow time and time and time again. And here are the sources of sorrow in our life. It is the hurts that are caused by others. It is the hurts that we bring upon ourselves. And it is the hurt because God, who can do something about it, lets it happen. And time and again, the psalmists are wrestling with that. And in their expression of emotions, here's what they're doing. They are directing it at the source of their sorrow. Whether it be deep-seated, gut-wrenching sadness, or whether it be seething anger. Listen, God can handle it all. And I'm so thankful for the Psalms because last Monday when we got our results, I was feeling all sorts of things. 
We got our PET scan results and Kelly and I just went home and we knew that we needed to call our kids and we needed to call our family members. And we were just stunned. We were, we were pretty heartbroken. The emotion started to come out in the oncologist's room and then we went home and we both looked at each other on the way, a very quiet drive, but just said, can we just turn our phones off? I said, we, this is not the time for us to call anybody. And we both knew what we needed most. We just needed to hold each other. And that's what we did. Our kids are freaking out because we went dark on them. <laughs> they're calling, they're texting. It's gone right to voicemail. They're calling Kelly's parents. Have you heard from Kelly? We can't get a hold of her. You know what? We understood what, we, what it was going to feel like, but we knew what we needed. We just needed to hold each other. Not say anything. The next day, we, we went for a walk, and there's been some loss along the way that we've had to grieve. One of the things we've always enjoyed is walking and hiking together and getting outside, and we were on a walk that typically would be pretty simple for Kelly and not difficult, but it was, a, it was more difficult. And it was the first time that Kelly, I could tell, wasn't keeping up, and she said to me, I, I just don't feel like I can finish it. I, I feel so tired. And I said to her, honey, why don't you just go slowly and get up to that point. I'm gonna go ahead and get the car. And I just, I, just, I just went for the car. And on my way for the car, man, I just erupted with all these feelings and sadness, but anger. I was beginning to feel angry. And I, and I knew some of the source of my anger. I knew what I was directing it toward. But I reached out to my leadership coach, who's also a uh, a licensed clinical therapist, and I said to him, I said, Scott, I, I think when I call this week, I said, I think what I need more than anything is I just got to process some of my anger. And he said, I look forward to it. <laughs> and, and I went for it. We got on the phone and our, on our virtual call and, and on Zoom, I just began to move right into what I was feeling. And I, and I felt so free after I was able to get it all out. I was able to name the source of my sorrow and the anger that I was feeling. And I, I felt so free. I thought we had done really good hard work. And then Scott says to me, there's one other thing I want you to talk about. I said, oh, what is it? He goes, Tell, talk about your anger toward God. I said, who, me? Are you, you talking to me? Pastor Gill, you know, you're talking to a pastor here? Uh, I mean, is that even permissible? And the reality is in the Psalms, it's very permissible because David felt it all and David brought it all full bear in his relationship with God. And that's one of the healthiest things that we can do is actually be honest with God. And when you feel safe with God, you can be honest with God. You don't have to come filtered. You don't have to come worried about whether God is gonna be disappointed in you or upset about something or God is somehow gonna punish you for your feelings. No, God already knows them. He wants us to get in touch with them in his presence. And that's what the Psalms do. What the Psalms do is they give us voice to our deepest sorrows when our words escape us. And so on my sabbatical, there were, there were two Psalms in particular that God used in a very meaningful way to minister to me. 
The first one had such a profound impact on me that I want to break it into the next two weekends. I don't want to get through it all today because I will not do justice to get through it all today. This particular psalm God used to give me a framework for my heart coming out of my sabbatical. It was so significant. And there were so many things that the Lord used in this psalm to speak to my heart. Psalm 116. Now, before we get to the scriptures this morning, before we actually go there, I want to give you some background information uh, on Psalm 116. Here's the background information. We can take the scripture down. We'll get to that here in just a moment. The Bible does not identify the author of Psalm 116, but it is largely and widely believed that it was written by David. David, who wrote nearly half of the Psalms, is believed to have penned the words of Psalm 116. And we don't know exactly when he wrote it, but it is believed that David wrote Psalm 116 as he was nearing the kind of latter years of his life and he was looking back and he was remembering, he was reflecting on all the times that he had felt forsaken, that he had felt abandoned. And he was remembering the times and the ways that God had shown up for him. What David does in Psalm 116 is David comes finally to a conclusion that when I was at my lowest, God was closest. That's a good big idea for us to latch on to this morning. When I am at my lowest, God is at his closest. God is nearest when we are at our most low point. In life. And, and here's what David does. Here's how he bookends Psalm 116. Let's look at verses 1 and verses 3 through 4. David says, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. David cried. And you know when we cry? We cry when there are no words to explain the pain that we feel. That's where David was. He says, the cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Here's what David knew. David knew that anguish has a way of dragging us into the grave of depression, the grave of despair, and in the grave of hopelessness. That's what anguish that isn't brought to God and isn't grieved well in the presence of God and in the presence of others who give us a safe place can do. But then David gives us the anecdote for his anguish. Here's the anecdote. Then I called on the name of the Lord, Lord, save me. I don't know how many times I prayed that prayer on sabbatical. Lord, save us. Save me. Save Kelly. David was saying, listen, death is strangling me. I feel it. 
but I recognize there is a savior that can help me. He cries out to God. And then, and then here's the end of the book and the other side of it. Verse number 19 in Psalm 116. Praise the Lord. <laughs> this is how it all ends. When David starts the psalm, he says, I love the Lord. And then he begins to recount all of the times and all the ways he felt desperate for God to come through. And where does he end it all? He ends it with three words, praise the Lord. Now, here's what's so unique about that. Psalm 116 is one of only six psalms that are considered or called Hallel Psalms. The Hallel Psalms are actually the psalms that are called psalms of praise or worship. Hallel is the Hebrew word for praise. It is the worship word for the term hallelujah, which we sang about this morning. And what's interesting is Psalm 113 all the way to Psalm 118 are the psalms that the Jews used on the three pilgrimages to Jerusalem to offer their sacrifices. The three pilgrimage festivals, they would sing and they would recant and they would remind themselves of the words of the psalmist. In Psalm 113 to 118, psalms of praise, psalms of hallelujah, songs of worship, songs of deliverance amidst really dark times. And what's so neat about this is that it is plausible that this is the psalm, Psalm 116, it's plausible that this is the psalm that Jesus sang with his disciples as he was at the Passover feast and dinner with them just before he moved to Gethsemane. You see, we think about communion, the Lord's table, we think of two elements. We think of the bread and the cup, but there's a third element that the gospels tell us. The third element is worship, it's praise. Matthew chapter 26, verse number 30, actually tells us that after they had taken the cup and after they had eaten the bread, they, it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Verses 36 and 37 of Matthew chapter 26. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, place of the skull, place of death is what it means. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. It is very likely that as Jesus is entering into the valley of the shadow of death for himself, that he's reminding himself He's actually trying to encourage himself as they're singing this hymn, leaving the Passover table, moving to his time of darkness, that all is well. And all will end well for me, just like it did for David. That God somehow will come through in a way that I could never even imagine. And so in Psalm 116, we get this sense that there is worship there is praise, there is thanksgiving in the midst of suffering, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of our deepest, darkest valleys, that we, like the psalmist, can find a voice of hope and encouragement that only God can give us. And it is the words of the Psalms that help us to find our voice. So in particular, here's where Psalm 116 ministered to me on my sabbatical. In the middle of these verses, from verse number one to verse 19, 
David actually makes six resolutions of his heart to God. Now, these are not like New Year's resolutions that someone glibly makes on December the 31st. By the second week of January, they have forgotten it. It's broken. No, we're talking about the kind of resolution that comes from the lips of a man who is known after a man after God's own heart. He actually fully knew what he was committing himself to. He fully knew what his resolutions were. Because in his heart, as he's in the middle of this dark place, the valley of the shadow of death he feels, there are things he's committed to doing. There are, there are things he's committed to being. And I found myself on the sabbatical echoing these resolutions. As I move into a, another season and a new season of ministry and of life, these are my resolutions. I share them with David, the psalmist this morning. Here's the first one, verse number two. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I live. Friends, I am fully committed to that resolution that I will pray as long as I have breath. And I love the way that David leads into this resolution. David says, because he bends down. Do you see the word picture here? Can you feel what God is doing in the midst of David's brokenness? God is saying, listen, you feel that you're at the lowest point in your life, but please know I am closest right now. I am near because I'm not only lofty up here, I'm bending towards you. I'm bending toward your cries for mercy. I hear you. I know you. I see you. And you may be in your own, amidst your own personal severe trial this morning. I want you to know God is bending toward your prayers. God hears you. God knows you. This is a psalm for you if that's where you are. If you have come through the severe trial and you are on the other side of it, this is a psalm for you to praise God for what he has done for you and how God has met you. And David, what he does here in this resolution, this first resolution, is he actually gives us some really profound theological truth. David, in his resolution, I will pray as long as I have breath, is reminding us of something. Death can take our life away, but it cannot take, it can take our breath away, but it cannot take our life away. Let's always remember that this life is determined on our breath, but God's life is determined without our breath. We don't need our breath to have God's life. And what David is saying is this. David is, is saying, there is going to come a day when I will no longer pray because I will no longer need the vehicle for prayer to be in God's presence. Listen, prayer is the vehicle that God has given us, the gift of God's presence until we are eternally in his presence. You will one day prayer, uh, breathe your final breath, but you will also pray your final prayer in that moment. But make no mistake about it. 
In Christ, the resurrection promises us that death can take our breath away, but it cannot remove our life. It cannot end our life. We have that in God. And that's what David is saying. As long as I have breath, you can make no mistake about it, I will use it to pray. I will use it to connect to God. Which brings us to a second resolution that David makes in verse number nine. David says, I will walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. I will walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. In the Bible, walking is the most common motif that we have for the Christian life. There are times we sprint, we run, there are marathons. There are times that God has us in a season of sitting. But the most common motif we have in scripture is that the Christian life is lived one step at a time. Day by day, moment by moment, step by step. And as David is talking about that I will walk in the Lord's presence as long as I live, he is having, I believe, a sense of returning to what life was like in the garden when God came and walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, there was a sense of his abiding nearness and presence with him. And God actually wants us to know that, that he's with us. And so David actually makes it clear, resolves in his heart that I'm gonna walk in the presence of the Lord. I echo that this morning. Verse number 10 David actually goes on to say this, I believed, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. This is a profound insight because what David is saying is that even though life hurts, even though I am greatly afflicted, I still believe. Can, can you say that today? Are you able to say, I believe, even as you lament your reality, that I'm greatly afflicted? That's what David does. And I share this morning. I echo his resolution. Perhaps the two verses that God used the most for me on sabbatical were found in verses seven and eight of Psalm 116 where David pens these words. Return to your rest, my soul. Return to your rest. For the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I found myself finding both comfort and peace and assurance that even though physically we are feeling so many different things, my soul can return to rest. Why? Because God's been good. And I said it last weekend, we're in a hard place, but we're in a good place because God's been good to us. And God is surrounding us. We we feel him. Even though we are at our lowest in some ways, God is closest to us. 
couple months ago, Kelly and I were sitting on the couch together and we had the television on, but we really weren't watching. And I don't know, how many of you are fans of AGT here? Any, any fans of America's Got Talent here this morning? Okay, a few of you. We, we aren't. I mean, we, we haven't really watched it. But that particular day, we actually had it on. It was during the auditions of this season's America's Got Talent. We saw a young lady come out near the end of it. Her name was Jane Markzuski. We knew as soon as Jane entered the stage that we could tell that she had struggled and been struggling. You could tell that she was frail, her body, her hair looks like it had grown back from chemotherapy and she, she began to kind of tell her story and, and then she sang and the judges are just blown away. I mean, they were just blown away by this young lady. And on America's Got Talent, there's a thing called a golden buzzer, which means that any of the four judges at any time can hit a golden buzzer and put the contestant through to the next round without anybody in America voting on them. Doesn't happen often. But on this particular night, we're watching Jane Markzuski from right here, Zanesville, Ohio, singing her song. We watch Simon Cow give her a golden buzzer. And what she says afterward both on stage and off stage, is pretty profound. I want you to take a look at this short video clip. Your voice is stunning. Mm -hmm. It is. Absolutely stunning. And I, I totally agree with what Howie said, you know, about authenticity. There was something about that song after the way you just almost casually told us what you're going through and, oh, you know. You can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. Um. There are, however, there have been some great singers this year. Um, and I'm not going to give you a yes. I'm going to give you something else. is not zero percent. Two percent is something. And I wish people knew how amazing it is. You can imagine Kelly and I sat pretty stunned to just hear this young lady's story. And what we have learned about Jane since that day is that she is a fully devoted Christ follower. She's a young lady who lives out her faith and she has so much faith and hope in what God can do. 
And I want our uh, Zach and Megan to come right now, but I, as they prepare to, to share a song with us, I, I want to share a blog entry that she wrote. It was written actually on March the 16th of this year. And it's a little lengthy, but I, I just want you to bear with me and hear the heart of what we've talked about this morning. When I am at my lowest, God is closest. She entitled her blog entry, God is on the bathroom floor. Here's what she wrote. I have had cancer three times now and I've barely passed 30. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I fear sometimes that when I die and meet God, that he will say I'm disappointed, that I've disappointed him or offended him or failed him. Maybe he'll say I just never learned the lesson or that I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing I know for sure is this, he can never say that I did not know him, that he did not know me. I am God's downstairs neighbor, banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use the key under the mat to let myself in. Other times, I sulk outside his door until he opens the door to me himself. I have called him a cheat and a liar, and I meant it. I've told him I wanted to die, and I meant it. Tears have become my only prayer, the only prayer I know. Prayers roll over my nostrils and drip down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers I repeat night and day, sunrise, sunset. Call me bitter if you want, that's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened, but count me as among the friends of God, for I have seen him in rare form. I have felt his exhale, laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message he wrote for me on the grout. I'm sad too. If an explanation would help, he would write me one. I know it. But maybe an explanation would only start an argument between us. And I don't want to argue with God. I want to lay on a hammock with him, trace the veins of his arms. I remind myself that I am praying to the God who let the Israelites stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive at the promised land but instead he let them wander, answering prayers they did not pray. For 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. Fire lit their path each night. Every morning, he sent them mercy bread from heaven. I look hard for the answers to the prayers I didn't pray. I look for the mercy bread that he promised to bake fresh for me every morning. The Israelites called it manna, which means, what is it? That's the same question I'm asking again and again. There's mercy here somewhere, but what is it? What is it? What is it? I see mercy, mercy in the dusty sunlit that outlines the trees. 
in my mother's crooked hands, in the blanket my friend left for me, in the harmony of the wind chimes. It's not the mercy that I've asked for, but it is mercy nonetheless. And I learn a new prayer. Thank you. It's a prayer I don't mean yet, but I will repeat it until I do. Call me cursed, call me lost, call me scorned, but that's not all. Call me chosen, blessed, sought after. Call me the one who God whispers his secrets to. I am the one whose belly is filled with loaves of mercy that were hidden for me. Even on days when I'm not so sick, sometimes I go lay on the mat in the afternoon light to listen for him. I know it sounds crazy and I can't really explain it, but God is there even now. I have heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough and it's true. If you can't see him, look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.